It was the hardest question of my life. But that is actually where I won the job. Because what I had picked up about him and what I was willing to say to him, completely honestly, transparently, he knew that we could have a really strong working relationship and that we could have talks about the really reals from day one, which usually take years to develop. And that my ability to progress in the job would be there and I'd be able to be mentored by him and learn from him immediately because I was willing to be super honest with him in that interview in that moment, knowing that a job offer was on the line. Hello to all our listeners. I'm Michaela Petty with TCU's Amplify Women in Sales, an initiative from the TCU Sales Center that extends to you and your story. We are a community dedicated to upskilling, empowering, and helping you reach your fullest potential. So for those listening, never undervalue the importance of EQ and being honest because you had to be honest and that would be so scary. (laughs) It was, and it was obtuse and it was all of the things, but, but it was also game changing, right? My dad, my dad passed away a year ago, very unexpectedly. I'm so sorry. And thank you. He, he was um, my best friend and the most amazing human, but I remember he was also my first mentor and, and, and still continues to be to this day. I still talk to him on my runs. I know that sounds a little kooky, but I still believe it's there. But anyhow, I remember my dad saying, Carrie, the best opportunities happen when things are hard and you have to have the courage to lean into those hard moments. And I've always taken that with me. And so by the way, Box, amazing company. They had been public for a year. They had just had their first earnings that didn't go well and their stock tanked right? So they went to like $10 a share. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Hey, like, what do you think? And he said, look, box should be valued at 20 plus. It's a great, strong company, but they made some mistakes on this earnings. And he said, but that's the opportunity for a really good leader to learn. And he said, most people won't want that job. And he was right because most CMOs at successful companies were like, yeah, I don't want to go in there in the middle of a downturn. My dad, my dad kept saying, Carrie, this is where you get the opportunity to go in. It's going to be hairy. It's going to be messy. It's not going to be clean and easy. They hadn't had a CMO for a year so that the team had really struggled and it was a rebuild. But he said, look, this is where opportunities are born. And he's right. Every time in my career where things have happened, it's when I've leaned into an opportunity that was scary and hard and not easy and um, just didn't quit. What a story. And you were working with them. And instead of going in with everything on a high, you got to go in and be like, okay, let's build this. What a great attitude to have. Well, and here's the thing. As you get up in your career, really, especially in tech, the money you make is not in your salary. It's not in your base salary. It's in equity in the company because they want leaders who have skin in the game with the the outcome for the whole company, not just your functional area. And so for me, my entire comp package at Box was mostly equity. Like I, my salary looked the same as in Texas, and the cost of living here is way higher. So it was pretty scary coming out here, because you know you don't usually vest in equity until a year later. But my dad kept saying to me, he's like, Carrie, if you get your equity at the ten dollars a share, which is usually, he was like, think about where you can go. And I was like, yeah, I mean the math is like it does take a genius to figure that out. Fast forward, when I left Box, the share price was at twenty four. That's over double. No, exactly. And I was part of the team that, and I wasn't certainly all me by any stretch. I was part of an amazing team, including the leaders that I talked about that got this immediately righted and back on track and built this company. We went from, you know, when I got there, it was like 350 million or so in revenue. And when I left, we were over 600 million. 
And that was two and a, almost two and a half years later. And that was, I mean, talk about an amazing experience. It was the game changing move of my career. That is so impressive. Did you go straight from Box to Splunk? Uh, no, I went to a smaller company called SendGrid, um, and SendGrid was also publicly traded. It's, that's a theme for me. I stay in the publicly traded lane. I don't go to startups, which is not my, my, my space, but, um, SendGrid was newly public, very successful, uh, doing really well on the op Inc. So they were a lot of companies in the Valley have very high growth multiples, but they don't do very well on sort of managing OPEX and they don't have a lot of um, padding from a cash flow perspective and SendGrid did. And so they had a CEO there that I fell in love with and he's just maybe one of the most amazing humans I've ever been around. And we used to joke that he couldn't get up and at an all hands at SendGrid without getting a little misty uh, in the eyes. Like he just was his heart and soul. He was, he was the most amazing servant leader I've ever been around. So I learned from him too. Samir Delakia is his name. And I just have big love for him. He's super guy, super dad. And uh, long story short is I wanted to go work for Samir. And uh, the reason I made this jump was that at SendGrid, marketing owned all revenue. So it, it wasn't just driving pipeline for sales. At Box, we owned some of the revenue. Some of us, some of it was monetized online without sales intervention. And some of it was creating pipeline for sales to close. At this company, it was all marketing. It was all discover, try, and buy on the web where people swipe their credit card like Amazon and they bought from us. And it was just another step in learning about annual recurring revenue and cloud and all the things. And so I wanted to go do that. And I also became a Section 16 officer at that company, which was a big deal for me from a development standpoint. And six weeks into being there, this amazing company named Twilio in the Valley announced their intent to acquire SendGrid. And so... There I was six weeks in and I knew SendGrid could get possibly get acquired as a great company. And it was at a price point that other companies were looking at us. So this was something I knew going in eyes wide open, but I knew that within a few months I was going to be, my job was going to be the CMO of a division of Twilio and not the CMO of Twilio. Cause I had an amazing CMO there. And for my own personal development, I want to be at the East staff table, the executive staff table. I want to be driving company level decisions every day because that's where I'm growing at the age of 48. And I want to continue to develop and be that lifelong learner. And so the moment this acquisition was announced, it hadn't even closed. It closed three months later. I had recruiters calling me and they said, Hey, your job's going to change. I was like, yes, I know. And they're like, do you want to stay? And I was like, I love, I love Samir Delakia. I'm going to stay as long as he needs me. But at some point, I think we'll all transition out of here. So I don't know when the right thing comes along, but I, I, I literally am not in a hurry. And that exact day, I remember driving in the car down the highway with Samir in the car with me. And we're going... You had your boss in the car with you? Oh, yeah. We're, we're in the back of a car prepping for press for this announcement of this acquisition. And I get this text on my phone from the re executive recruiter for Splunk, and an outside firm. And he said, Carrie, it's Andy. He was like, I know it's a big day for you. I know you're busy. I want to talk. And he was like, I tried to get you to talk to Splunk before you took the SendGrid job and you didn't return my phone calls. And he said, it's time for us to talk again. We haven't found our person and you're our gal. And so fast forward and I told Samir, you know, he and I talked very openly about the fact that, you know, I want to be a public company CMO and he knew that. And so Splunk called a few other companies at the same time, Slack and a few others that may sound familiar, but I knew immediately that Splunk was the company I wanted to be at for many reasons. And so I sat down with Samir and we talked about it and made a transition time that worked for him and the team. And, you know, he's just an incredible human. And I 
I miss him, but I also am so happy. And uh, Splunk has been the move of my career. I, 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 I love this place. You can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it. Would you like to describe to our listeners a little bit more about Splunk and what they're about, their company culture? Yeah, so we are about, I don't know, a little over $2 billion in revenue. We have a market cap of about $25 billion. So we are, we are not IBM, but we are a substantial company that probably many of you have never heard of. We are a data analytics and uh, big data software uh, and security. Most of the Fortune 500 and most of the Forbes 2000 use us. Um, and religiously, I would say all the big uh, federal agencies use us. We basically make sense of all kinds of data in all different formats and pull the needle out of the haystack and surface that up real time for companies and organizations to solve big, hairy problems. So you can imagine right now during COVID, um, people are buying more Splunk than less. Tech also seems to be the industry most resilient against the COVID-19 shutdown. Tech hiring has remained strong in many cities throughout the USA. As Carrie and I talked, I really wanted to learn more about this business-to-business customer experience, since this is where the marketplace is headed. So according to Forbes, B2B customer experience includes creating a personalized omni-channel experience and building lasting relationships while providing convenient digital solutions also includes a focus on employees. Engaged employees are more likely to create a superior customer experience. Companies that invest in employee experience are 4.2 times more profitable than those that don't. Yeah, so uh, here's the deal. Splunk is an amazing technology, but it's also run by really phenomenal people. And um, I had the great fortune at this stage in my career to cherry pick my next role. Um, I I worked hard to get to that place, and I don't say that lightly, but there were options and that isn't always the case in your career, right? And then plenty of times I didn't have tons of options, but I did now. And I chose Splunk and Splunk chose me, but I chose Splunk because of the people there and the leaders there. And I believed so amazingly in the woman I work for, who's our president and CEO, basically our COO, but she's our president of worldwide field operations, Susan St. Ledger. And then Doug Merritt, who's our CEO. I just, I spent months interviewing with them before I talked to anybody else at Splunk because I wanted to make sure that the three of us we're a good fit. Um, and they are amazing leaders and amazing humans. And so we've got, I, I, I just, I sort of like won the lottery in that they very abruptly needed a new CMO and, uh, started looking and Doug and Susan and I clicked and the technology is amazing. I knew this company had a ton of headroom. I mean, I, I firmly believe we'll be a five and $10 billion company in no time because what we do is fairly essential to all organizations, including small startups that are, I mean, we're actually helping global law enforcement get ahead of human trafficking and saving lives through correlating data. Oh yeah. I mean, like we're doing some amazing things that use cases that are just, we rebranded this year and this is part of our rebranding is kind of sharing that we are much bigger than just security and IT case use cases. We actually do really cool things with startups and we're working with some of our partners to help with food longevity and grocery store change, which really with grocery store chains, which really helps with the food issues with food banks right now. And with COVID, we are helping um, a startup here in the Valley that actually is working with firefighters, uh, local firefighters to help them detect when wildfires start 45 minutes to an hour earlier than they would elsewise and saving lives like just amazing things. You Data underpins so many of the world's issues. So 
that's a very long way of saying, and I'm sorry I didn't keep this quick and short. I love it. Let's keep the audio rolling. Splunk is it's really, it's a rad company. It is. And we're doing really cool. We are doing cool things, but it's actually not us. We are enabling our customers and our partners to do amazing things that are actually helping humanity along with doing our big IT and security use cases. And, and that's, that's pretty fun. It's a company that's more than just data software. It's actually saving lives and solving real world problems. How would you translate this over to taking this big data? Because we're obviously discussing women in sales. There is a gender inequality. It is so much better than it's ever been before. But still, women are paid less than men. How would you talk about solving that with big data? What are your ideas? I know, heavy question. Yeah, no, it's actually an appropriate question. Here's the thing. Forever, especially in tech, as you rise up in the company, women become scarce. One of the reasons I chose to come to Splunk is that we have three women on our board of directors that my CEO placed two of them there. And he believes in women and what they can achieve. And he is a huge proponent of women. And so there were three women leaders on the e-staff. So one third of our e-staff were women before I even got there. And by the way, not just women running HR or marketing, they, the woman who ran all revenue for the company, my boss, Susan St. Ledger, all worldwide field sales is underneath her. And then the woman who runs the largest business division that we have, our security division, Haiyan Song, who's a complete badass too. I mean, she goes to World Economic Forum and speaks on panels there where she easily toggles between speaking Mandarin Chinese and English and speaking about data security. I mean, she's amazing. And then Tracy Edkins, who at the time was our um, chief people officer, but there were there was not just an anecdotal woman at the table. That company, Splunk as a company, believed in women running the lion's share of the big decisions in the company and the revenue. And you don't find that everywhere. So there are companies out there that are doing this and it's changing. But back to like the data, you know, there are so many studies out there. McKinsey has done a bunch and Harvard Business Review. And the reality is the things that you will learn, if you haven't seen it already, you should go out and research it. But companies that have diversity in the e-staff and leadership teams and boardroom are more successful, period. McKinsey's done a study, like the data is there to support that. And it's not just gender diversity. It is all types of diversity. And PS in Silicon Valley, being a Texan with a Southern accent and no MBA, I'm a diverse candidate too on many levels. And I like, it's, it's not that common to walk into a boardroom with a Texas accent here. And, and sometimes it's looked down upon just to be frank. Like if you don't have your education stamp from Berkeley or Stanford, you're different, but you're different in a great way. As long as you have the courage to face it and that people embrace it and people here have, it's been a wonderful four years here for me so far. And, but I'm a woman. And so that's the thing, especially in sales. Carrie is right. Leadership roles matter. Companies in the top quartile for gender diversity on executive teams were 21% more likely to outperform on profitability and 27% more likely to have superior value creation. The highest performing companies on both profitability and diversity had more women in typical revenue generating roles than in staff roles on their executive teams. Carrie gives here must for young women starting their careers, her three pillars, so to speak. Number one, results matter. Absolutely matter more than anything else. And in sales, it's very black and white. So in marketing, it's a little bit more mungy, but we have more data now to support how marketing actually performs. 
And people who deliver to the top line and bottom line of companies move up in their careers. You have to have performance, but then you also have to have the people skills to lead and to lead and and get the best out of others. Because the higher you go, the more it is, again, not about you. It's about the people that you lead and your reputation will follow you. And trust me, some of the smartest people have come through our corridors interviewing for jobs that, you know, have worked with Steve Jobs in the past and worked with, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. And we're like, oh my gosh, their resume is so impressive. And this person is so amazing. And then you back channel them and you hear that they're not great at leadership with people. And I will tell you, I don't care how great their resume looks. I'd never hire them. And so what you do, how you treat others, how you lead on top of how you perform, that is how you have a reputation that you have the leverage to then go in and say, these are the economics that I need to make this work. I'm dying to work for you guys. I'm going to bust my butt to do, to perform for you. And I will, I've got a proven track record. You can see it on my resume. You can, you can talk to anybody who's worked with me that I will give everything to this job, but this is what I require economically to make that happen. Because by the way, every guy going in and having that conversation is having that conversation. They're not afraid of that. And so women need to have that conversation. You need to have the, you need to have the experience or the performance to back it up. And then you got to perform, but you need to ask for what you deserve and don't take anything less. And merging into this, you have three pillars that you live your career by. What are they? What three pillars do our listeners need to know? I'm all ears. Yeah. So I switched one of them for this conversation because it wasn't quite as topical, but I, I can definitely go into this. Um, number one, first and foremost, and I touched on this about my Splunk move, but who you work for matters. You don't always get to choose early in your career. And by the way, I've worked for some jerks. Let's just be frank. I work for people who are, who, who are just tough to work for. They just, and not that they weren't, I love when they're hard on me, but they just, they just work kind. Like at the end of the day, they were really just not necessarily nice people. And there were very few of them, but there were a few of them and it was miserable. And oftentimes when I was in the coolest jobs and what I've learned from that is that I would sweep the floors for amazing humans. I really would. If they asked me to go sweep the floors, I'd go do it with a smile on my face. And I would not take a CEO role for a jerk, period. End of story. Work for somebody that you believe in and that believes in you. um, And that can be honest with you and transparent but somebody that you respect as a human, just basic values. Like you don't have to be the same culturally, religiously, all the things, they don't have to be the same. But at the core of your humanity, do you sort of value the same things, right? How you treat people when you fire them, how you treat people when you hire them, all the things. Like, are you sort of aligned on those metrics? And then everything else is kind of noise. Uh, So work, who you work for matters. And when you have the luxury of being able to choose, choose wisely. Um, it's not necessarily the title of your job or the company that you work for, but if you work for great people, it makes all the difference. Number two, and this is really important too, and I touched on this, be a business person first, have functional expertise second. I believe my career took off. Like when I left for IBM and then I went to, you know, Box and then Syngrid, I learned at Dell and it was a neuroses that I've taken with me, but Everybody at that company knew where we were with regard to our P&L every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I was terrified of running into one of our general managers in the hallway and him asking me where the marketing pipeline was that day. And if I didn't know where it was, so I literally come into work, turn on my system and start looking at data early in my career. And I'd be like, where's our pipeline today? Where do we have holes? What programs are we wanting to fill it? Like all the things, but I became a business person first. And 
I love Dell for that. And I will thank them every day for the rest of my life for that. Cause that company wasn't built on technology. It was built on being operationally elite and running a really tight P and L. And so, and it was a lot of go to market. And so I learned so many fundamental skills there about, about that. And if you don't understand the business you're in, my biggest advice there is go make a friend in finance, take them to lunch, ask them for coffee and say, Hey, will you mentor me? Can you give me, can I come and ask you three questions a week? And can I buy you lunch every Friday? I want to ask you all the stupid questions. Can you just educate me on our business? And I do that everywhere I go. So like when I got into box, I made friends with the finance team. And I asked the guy who is the head of finance to mentor me every other Friday to just understand the business. And I do that everywhere I go still. And it's like a reverse mentoring. And uh, even as a CMO, you, you need to learn the business. And so go do that. Go make friends with finance and go learn the business because then you can be, you can actually help your CEO, your leader so much more when you can start connecting the dots outside of your department, right? Like if you've got the business is slowing, why? Why is it slowing? And how can you help? And it should be, how can you help run a part of core team or be part of a core team that's going to go fix something? They're going to choose you if you understand the business and you've got the appetite to go do that right? So be a business person. And I, by the way, I don't have a business degree at, from TCU either. I have a communications degree, but I learned on the job. Like you learn, you just go, go learn, right? Like anybody can go learn this stuff. You just go learn and take good notes. Like that's my other piece of advice. Take good notes. And then the other thing is, this is kind of a, a, an amalgamation of a lot of things, but I said this before, have great mentors. And I've had people ask me all the time, like, not long, a year ago, I went and spoke at, at Kellogg at Northwestern, um, where my husband got his MBA, and they invited me out there to speak to their students about just sort of my life lessons in, in leadership. And it was an awesome session. And I remember talking to them about, you know, I've learned all these pearls of wisdom along the way. And they said, what was the hardest bit of feedback you ever got? So I remember early in my career, Brian Jones, the same guy who kicked me out of the nest at Dell, uh, I was in my end of year review, and he said to me, Hey, Palin, because everybody called me Palin there. Um, and I worked with a bunch of guys. Hey, Palin, so you've really done well this year. You're t my top ranked person. You crushed all your, you know, performance indicators, all those things. You're doing great. Here's your raise. Here's your bonus. Congratulations. And thanks so much. And I was like, great. And he's like, now for the constructive part. And I said, yeah. And he was like, stop being a jerk, except jerk wasn't the word he used. And I said, what are you talking about? I literally was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, Carrie, he's like, look, I love that you're kind of like a dude in a girl's body. He said this and it, bless him. He said, I like that you're kind of like a dude because you're just no BS. It's all black and white. There's not a ton of emotion around it. You get the job done and you, you really deliver to the business. He's like, but at the end of the day, one of the greatest things about you is you are a girl and women tend to have way higher EQ they tend to understand people better and you do, but yet you kind of can get short and curt with people when you're trying to drive the business. He's like, that doesn't work. He's like, you need to think about how you respond to things all the time, even when you're driving the business. And he said, he said, cause, and I, I looked at him and I was like, I just don't agree with that. He's like, so here's the thing, little woodchuck. He was like, this is your blind spot. And he said, as your friend and as your manager, I'm going to tell you, this is something you've got to fix. And he said, I believe you can go as high as the ranks go in any company. I really do. I think you've got the fundamental skills to do that. He said, but if you don't figure out how to be more self-aware and how to fix what's out there in the ether about your professional brand, 
He said, you're never going to go further than this at this company or any other. And he said, I want to really help you fix it. And I'm willing to dig in with you, but this needs to get fixed and it needs to get fixed yesterday. And I remember leaving that end of year and I was really hurt, right? I was like, oh my gosh, this guy that I think so much of just told me I'm a jerk, but he didn't use that word. He used another four letter word that starts with a D. And I was like, oh my gosh, do people really think like that? And he said, yeah. He's like, what you don't understand is what people say about you at the water cooler. It's not what they say to your face. It's what's out there about your brand that they don't have the guts to tell you. And so my advice about why my career accelerated is Brian Jones gave me a wake up call that day that changed the course of my career because all of a sudden I started to care about, and I was a kind human being. I just got so in the zone of moving the business forward that I was a little curse. I wasn't a total jerk. Like that wasn't it, but my style wasn't awesome. And how you do things and what you deliver to the business matter in equal proportion as you grow in your career. And as you get up as to being a leader and a higher up leader and in the C-suite, how you do things matters 75%. And what you do is more 25%. What you enable your teams to do and inspire your teams to do matters a ton. But your how matters more than anything. And he taught me that lesson early in my career that you need to be able to take feedback. I now beg for it. And the other big tip I have is if you ask for feedback and you do not create a safe environment for people to give it to you, they will never give it to you again. And you will never have the opportunity to course correct and grow. And so what Brian Jones taught me that day was take feedback, ask for it, demand it, and then do something with it and actually grow and develop and show people that it was worth their time to have the uncomfortable conversation with you and that it did something. Because people don't want to have that conversation. Just naturally as humans, we don't want to give hard feedback. That's hard. But he changed my career because of that. And my career took off. Like between the time I got that director job at Dell to being a CMO was less than 10 years of a publicly traded company. Imagine. It, like, it just literally went like this, like just straight up after that. Because, and I believe because um, I aggressively looked for feedback and closed the gaps in my skill set because of that feedback as fast as possible. And was, it was able to enable me to get to the next level and then the next level and then the next level faster than I ever thought I could. I found the story by Carrie fascinating and I wanted to discuss it further. I contacted Professor Amy Vandeveer Novak at the University of Houston and she had this to say about Carrie's experience. And she had one that gave her really honest feedback. And I think that's uh, important to, you can do two things with feedback. You can either say that's not true um, and be a victim and make excuses, or you can look at it hard in the face and say, what does this mean? How can I deal with this? And what can I do to improve? And so to me, it's about, I coined this term and it's called blissfully unaware. And we are all blissfully unaware. It's like blind spots, right? And the reason I say blissful is because you have no idea, right? You're just like, yeah, that, and you have no idea. And you're so unaware that you get in your own way. You are your biggest obstacle in your career in some areas. And so I think it's the moment you become aware of something, you can do two things. You can either change or not. But until you're aware, you can really get in your own way. And that's what I loved about her mentor. What a testament to your character that you were able to take that kind of feedback because I imagine it took you off guard. Wow. 
feel like most people would put up their defense mechanisms, but you were vulnerable and you allowed him to teach you. I wasn't awesome in the moment. And he'll tell you that too. I was pretty defensive. And I think the moment I got out of there, tears started streaming down my face. But, you know, look, we all learn and, and life is about continuing to learn. And I think being resilient and adaptable, um, hugely important. Life is going to throw a lot at you. <laughs> Work is going to throw a lot at you. It's not easy. It's not always sunshine and unicorns. And certainly with COVID, we've all seen that. And it's hard. It's really hard sometimes. And, and you have to be resilient and get in the game. You have to have your hard moment. You have to cry, get a hug from whoever you need it, go on a run if you need to like work it out, call your friend and yell all the expletives you need to on the phone, let them listen to you. But get up the next day and get back at it. Get in the game, right? Be resilient. Final question. What is one woman you admire and why? <laughs> yeah, so I've admired a ton over the years. But by the way, I, I really admire a lot of men too. So I'm, I, I'm a big believer that... <laughs> Let's change it to overall. One person you admire. One person. But here's, here's the thing. I also wanted to leave this last little nugget too. So many Caucasian white men from the middle part of the United States of America have done so much for me in my career over the years that I think when we vector too hard one way or the other, um, we actually do a disservice to all of humanity. Um, and, and my career wouldn't be where it is today without amazing women and amazing men of all creeds and colors and of all backgrounds. And so like set that aside, that's very important. The woman I admire most probably um, <laughs> It's going to sound pretty random to you, but I love Margaret Thatcher. Um, I just, you know, she's a former prime minister uh, in, in Great Britain. And I watched a documentary on her years back and I just, she, she did the hard stuff. I mean, she was, she was, she, you know, it was not easy. Let me just say that. And she was not perfect. And she's, you know, like all the things, but man, she had guts and she plowed, she plowed a trail that women hadn't before her. And I think to myself, you know, and there are, there are women who plowed a trail before me, but my career is marked with moments where people told me that I couldn't. Oh, Carrie, you can't do marketing at Dell because there are all these people who have marketing degrees from the University of Texas who have been in sales for five years that are waiting for their jobs. And, and you have to do your time in sales before you get that job. But yet I got that job. And oh, Carrie, you can't actually move up at Dell because you have to have your M MBA from these five institutions. And that's part of the rubric. So you can't get that next level. Turns out that I did get to the next level and I interviewed against people who did have their MBAs from Harvard and Wharton and they're brilliant and awesome. I just worked my butt off. And then it was, Oh, Carrie, you can't actually be a VP here because you don't have your MBA. And then I just worked harder and I got it. And then, Oh, but your skills don't transfer outside of Dell because you've been here too long you know, you're going to, you're going to crash and burn at IBM. And that didn't happen either. Um, and then I was told I couldn't be a public company CMO because I've never done it before. And now I'm on my third public company. And I just, if, if there's one thing I can leave you with, it's the reason I love Margaret Thatcher is everybody told her she couldn't do it. And I think my whole career I've had moments, including that precious teacher at TCU who understandably so told me tech probably wasn't for me because I, had zero give a shit about coming to class, which was my fault, not hers. But my career has been marked with all these moments where I was told I couldn't do it. And that lit a fire in my furnace, in my belly that just motivated me every day. And Margaret Thatcher did that too. And obviously I could never be prime minister of Great Britain. She's amazing, but 
I, um, I just find so much about her courage to be so inspirational. We started this conversation talking about courage and your courage and career. And we end up talking about courage in general for women and not giving up. I think that's very fitting and beautiful. Thank you, Carrie, for your time. This has been a fantastic interview and I cannot wait to share it with our listeners. Like what you hear? We want to hear from you. Please hit subscribe and follow our page on LinkedIn and Instagram. Links are in the bio. This is a community of many voices, uplifting and inspiring. I'm Michaela Petty and join us as we amplify. Amplify.